Well, good morning. How is everybody doing this morning? So this morning we're going to start off um, talking a little bit about a couple of things going on. If I haven't met, if you haven't met me, my name is Ben Miller. I am the campus life pastor here, and uh, Paul is out. And so if you if you need to like go to the back and ask for a refund, that's fine. <laughs> Whatever you need to do, um, but. I wanted to encourage you all for about life groups. So life groups, you have life group catalogs on, on a lot of the, t- the chairs this morning. If you didn't grab one, you can grab one. Um, life groups are, are one of the two things we really do well here at LifePoint. We do Sunday morning and we do life groups, and this is what we really focus on. We, a lot of churches focus on a lot of things. We focus on these two things. So if you're not in a life group, please get in one. If you aren't in a life group, I want to encourage you to come to Life Group United. It's a Wednesday night thing. So on Wednesday nights, we get here, and and we're going to do this for another few weeks. We've got like four weeks left of this. Um, Come together, and we're trying to form four new groups out of Wednesday night. And so we have childcare provided. We have folks here who are, who are going to be here and talk, discuss together the book of Ephesians. It's been a great time so far, and we want to encourage you to come. Uh, so, um, this morning we're going to continue our study on the book of, of uh, Revelation. I want to also encourage you, if you need to, um, to pull out the, your LifePoint app, and you can follow along with you. There's a, there's a guide, there's sermon notes there, and, um, and there's also the verses as well if you wanted to follow along. As we move into our, our, our study of the book of, Re- of Revelation, we have gone through a lot of different things, and... Um, I've also talked to you guys a little bit about how um, some people view revelations differently. Some people, they're, they're going through this study and you're, they're like, you know what, you're not going deep enough. I really want to get deeper into this study. And, and you know what, I want to encourage you to do that. That's a difficult thing to do on a Sunday morning. We have a limited amount of time. And also, you know, Paul and I have discussed this a lot, that we don't want to be overly dogmatic about and how we interpret um, things. So we're not, we're not trying to sell to you a decoder ring of what's going to happen a, or a crystal ball of things that are going to happen in the future through revelations. We're not trying to associate dates and times. And we also want to discourage you from trusting people who do. Because not, th- as much as, as these things are important to try to figure out, and, and that's absolutely good to do, and you can read lots of books about that, they might tell you a hundred different things. But the most important thing is to know that God is in control and he has a plan and that plan is being put into action and that plan has been started from the beginning. And you're a part of that plan. And Revelation is is an explanation of what is to come. And that brings us to our tagline of the series, something we've been saying every week, something that's super important to keep in mind. The Revelation is more about present hope than a future calendar. I think the most important thing to see is that God has the future planned. He's had it planned from the beginning and that he finds you as a special part of that plan. And you are in that plan right now, whether or not you want to be. And I want to open this up in a quick word of prayer. God, we thank you for this morning. We pray that you would open our hearts and minds to your word. We pray that you would soften hearts, you would soften minds, and you would soften lives, and that lives would change for your glory because of your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So this morning we're going we're gonna to go through three chapters. So it's going to be, we're going to skim across them. We're not gonna, I'm not going to have you, we're not going to read through all three chapters together. Um, and I think that, you know, these three chapters are not going to be light, fun, airy. I don't think you're going to walk away from this and spontaneously burst into, into song of, of shouts of praise for God, because I think as we go through this, they're a little dark, there's some difficulties, but I want you to see God's grace in all of it. I want you to see how God is, is infusing his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness into each of these pieces. So we're going to go through three chapters. We're going to go through Revelation 14, 15, and 16. Um, Revelation 14 is, is more about um, these angels giving proclamations. And then we go into 15 and 16, which talks about wraths being poured out on the earth. And it's going to bring to mind images of the book of Exodus and the plagues in Exodus. And as we go through that, I want you to think about that because there's a similar thing going on here. The similarities here are that God is, is having to prove to hard-hearted people that he exists, that he is real, that he loves them, that he's had a plan all along. And in the midst of that, that is precisely what's going on here in Revelation. Look with me as we start in Revelation 14, 6 to 12. 14, 6 to 12. It says, Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. And worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. And then another angel, a second, followed, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, she who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of sexual immorality. And another angel, third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives the mark on his forehead or on his hand, he will also drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength, into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest, day or night, these worshipers of the beast in its image and whoever receives the mark of its name. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. And I heard, from, heard a voice from heaven saying, write this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labor, labors, for their deeds follow them. You know, often in the Word of God, we hear angels are messengers. Sometimes we see them as warriors, but they're often messengers, meant to bring a message to someone. And the first message we see here is the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, being proclaimed all over the earth, simultaneously in all languages, to all tribes and nations. So it's kind of like what happened at, at Pentecost in Acts 1, but in a much, much larger scale. And so the angel is going, you know, just all over the earth, this presence of the Word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ being spoken in every language, in every accent, in every tongue, and everybody can hear it. So there's no excuses. I think when we look at 
God in the Old Testament, and we'll look at God in Revelation, sometimes we have a very incorrect view. We might see the judgment. We might see the justice of God, but we don't often take a moment and notice his grace. In this moment, there is an immense amount of grace being poured out onto the earth because God says, one more chance. I'm going to give you all one more chance, which he's been doing for thousands of years, which brings us to our first point this morning. God's grace is never-ending, even until the very last moment. God's grace is never-ending, even until the last minute. And I'm going to tell you, today, if today were the last day on earth, if today were the day that you needed to make a decision to follow Jesus Christ because you, did, you knew that tomorrow wasn't going to happen, would you do it? Would you change anything? Change anything about your life? draw closer to him, kick those bad habits, whatever it is. I want you to think about that this morning because that's the focus. The focus is on God's grace. We don't know how much longer that will last. We don't know if we have another day. And today might be that day, so we need to take advantage of it. He has given the human race many, many chances. And maybe, like me, you've often looked at yourself and seen the absolute worst sinner. I do that sometimes. I'm praying on my way to work, and I'm thinking, God, why do you even love me? How is it possible that you love me? I am such a screw-up. If that's you, you're not alone. We all go through that. Even the Apostle Paul went through that. You know, towards the end of his life, at the the very end of his life, Paul, writing to, to Timothy, who is a young church planter, he calls himself the chief of sinners. He says, of which I am the worst. Why does he say that? I think because what we do is as we go along in our walk with Christ, as we go along in the sanctification process, and if you don't know, sanctification is is how God changes us after we become believers. Sanctification is the process of purification of God changing the maturity of our hearts. It doesn't mean that we are free of sin. It doesn't mean that we make no mistakes. What it means is that we're growing closer to Him, and as we grow closer to Him, He is revealing the power of the fact that we need a Savior. Day by day, moment by moment, if nothing else, growing closer to God should help you understand that you need a Savior. That's how I feel like every morning when I'm praying, I I, I think about this and I think, you know what? There's no way I could have done this on my own. There's no way I could have saved myself. No work that I could have done to earn it. Every day I need a Savior, and that Savior is Jesus Christ. That brings us to our next point this morning. Christ's eternal sanctification process reveals our inner battles more and more. 
The eternal sanctification process reveals the inner battles that we fight day by day before the throne of God. I want to just reiterate this. Maturity in Jesus Christ is not being free from sin. It's revealing more and more your need for a Savior. Revealing those inner battles means that you are humble enough to see through the Word of God all that needs to be changed. And as you do, as you walk that process, He reveals more things that you need to change, more things that need to improve, more things. And I know that sometimes that feels a little overwhelming. God is asking for your whole heart, every last bit of your heart. And he won't stop until you do. Or you go home with him. So let's move on to, our, to the second angel. So we went through that first angel and spent a little bit of time on that. But the second angel talks about bringing down Babylon. And in the way the angel describes this is, um, you know, the, that Babylon is going to be destroyed because of its sexual immorality. And just to be clear, in the Word of God, sexual immorality is any form of thinking or acting or seeing sex that is outside the, the will of God, defined clearly by the Word of God. And so sexual immorality is the reason that Babylon is falling. Now, some people might tell you Babylon is the United States or whatever, we could sit here and try to speculate that, but people have been speculating that for quite some time. I want you to understand that there is no special grace on the United States of America. The United States of America is not in any way, shape, or form mentioned directly in the Word of God. And so we sometimes think to ourselves, because we, because we put you know, God into our Declaration of Independence. We put God into, into our, um, all of our governmental documents that somehow that means God is, is obligated to bless us. He's not. So we should at all times be vigilant, praying for the revival of the saints in the U.S. Praying that God would continue the work that he's doing here. We have no idea how long our country will last. What we do know is throughout history, over and over again, God has judged nations and torn down nations based on their sexual immorality. And that should say something to us about how important that is. Amen? The third angel declares that no one who worships the beast or bows down and wears his mark, they will all be punished, and then goes into some detail about that. So let's be clear. Some people will tell you lots of things. They will tell you, they might tell you that a specific thing will come along and You'll, you'll get a tattoo that says 666 on it or whatever. And I'm going to tell you, it's not clear. This is not clear at all. But what is clear is that at some point in the future, in order to do business, 
to go to the grocery store and buy a loaf of bread and buy a gallon of milk, the people on this earth will have to make a very clear choice. Do I bow down to the image of the beast or do I permanently make a mark on myself declaring my submission to the, to the beast in order to go to the grocery store, buy milk and buy bread and things like that? And at some point in the future, that will happen. And when that does happen, even those who are believers who take that seal on or who bow down to the image will be punished. There's a strange thing happening here, and it is very difficult to to see and read. And I want to tell you that that third angel makes it very clear, and there's other parts here too, to be very vigilant and, and, and careful and be watchful for the things on the horizon. But some people will say that that will somehow be some sort of secret that maybe like um, the vaccine for something will somehow be that mark of the beast. I'm gonna tell you right now, it's not gonna be a vaccine. The only reason I say that is because you know for sure when you take it, you, when you do this, that it'll be clearly evident on the outside of your body to other people that you have submitted your life to the beast. Let's continue on with Revelation 14, 14 through 16. Then I looked and behold, a white cloud seated on the throne, one like a son of man with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the temple calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, put your sickle and put in your sickle and reap, for the hour to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. So he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle across the earth, and the earth was reaped. So this one who is seated on the cloud, like a son of man with a crown on his head, most likely is Jesus Christ. We don't know a whole lot more about that, although what we do know is that As the sickle is swung, lots of people die. This is a great harvest, a big tragedy, and causes a lot of blood. And throughout that process, it's very gory. Let's look at chapter 15, where we see more angels and more plagues. I told you this was going to be fun, right? This is really light and airy. Revelation 15, 1-4. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels and seven plagues, which are, which are the last for them, <clears throat> for with them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw what appeared to be the sea of glass mingled with fire, and all, also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name, standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hand. <clears throat> And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. So there's another sign there were seven angels and seven plagues. We aren't going to see the plagues yet. But what we do know is there's a certain amount of joy 
in the fact that this is the end. And it says, it says that for with them the wrath of God is finished. And that brings us to our next point this morning. There is even grace in God's judgments that they won't last forever. There's grace in God's judgments that they won't last forever. You know, when I was a kid, you know, what my, what I would, I would have a really bad day maybe. And, and I would have all these things to do. My mom said, just take things one thing at a time, right? Another day, tomorrow will be another day. And when we think about this, we think about tomorrow being another day. Um, One thing that we should understand is that our troubles will end. There is grace in that. Not only will our troubles one day end, which is part of the story of Revelation, but even the judgments will end. I think in a lot of ways, if I look at it from God's perspective, I could see judgments lasting forever for the way that we've treated him. His own creation put him to death on a cross, spit at him, beat him, cursed at him. The God of creation. So I could see all kinds of ways that God could judge us and never be done with that. And I would understand. And yet there's God's grace in the fact that judgments will end. There will be an end to those judgments. You know, I don't know about you, but I, I sometimes I, I, I'm not condoning social media at all, <laughs> but sometimes I watch videos. I like to watch these videos where it's like instant justice. Like you're watching some guy drive really crazy down the highway and then all of a sudden he gets pulled over and you're like, yes! I think there's part of that in us that wants that instant justice, who loves justice, that understands that justice has to exist in order for order to control the chaos, for people who are at peace to stay at peace. There needs to be justice in the world. And God's justice in the book of Revelation feels harsh, violent, difficult, and yet there is grace in it. There's grace in the fact that God gives us more chances. There's grace in the fact that judgment eventually ends. Let's continue on in Revelation 16, verses 1 and 2. Revelation 16, verses 1 and 2. Then I heard a loud voice go from the temple, telling the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. All right, so this this first judgment, this first bowl of wrath, is poured out on the people, and it is these painful boils. These boils are going everywhere. They're, they're going on to people. But it's not touching God's people. This is happening directly to the people who took on the mark of the beast and bowed down before it. 
some of these judgments, even in the midst of all of this, are full of grace for those who aren't God's enemies, for those who didn't disobey him and fall into idolatry all along the way. And this morning, Jesus is saying something important in verse 15. In verse 15, he says, Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he might not go about naked and be seen exposed. So what is he really saying? He's saying the next point of this morning, stay alert and ready for the imminent return of Jesus Christ. Stay alert and ready for the imminent return of Jesus Christ. In other words, put your clothes on. Get ready. Prepare yourself. In the book of Matthew, we heard this story about young ladies who needed to prepare their lamps. It was a parable that Jesus told. He said there there are 12 ladies, and, and 10 of them did a great job and prepared their lamps. I might have got that number wrong. <laughs> Don't quote me on that. But nevertheless, some of them were ready and some of them were not. And the moral of Jesus' parable is this. Keep your lamp full of oil and ready to go for when the bridegroom comes because he's coming soon. You know, Jesus said he's coming like a thief in the night. And that's why I said, don't trust anybody who tells you a date or a time. You know, people in the past have used this for their own personal gain. They've used it to trick people. They've used it to to try to convince people to join a cult. They've tried a lot of things. But don't believe anybody who tells you that they know the day and the time that Jesus is coming. But you should be aware that he's coming soon. What that doesn't mean is, it doesn't mean like like the book of Thessalonians that you should stop working, that you should relax and just wait for him to come. He's probably coming tomorrow. That's what the Thessalonians thought, and Paul had to chastise them about it. That was 2,000 years ago. And while I agree that we're closer today than we were then, we still don't know the date and the time. But what it does mean is that day by day, we should grow in the boldness and love of Jesus Christ towards those around us. That we should take advantage of each day that we're given so that we do not lose this time that is precious between now and the end of our lives or or when Jesus comes back. Either way, we should be boldly proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ. Stay alert. The imminent return of Jesus Christ is near. We don't know when that is, but it's coming soon. Let's continue on with Revelation 16, 17 and 21. 17 to 21. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne, saying, It is done. And there were flashes of lightning, rumbles, and peals of thunder, and a great earthquake such as there was never been since since man was on the earth. So great was the earthquake 
The great city was split into three parts and the cities of the nations fell. And God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. And every island fled away and no mountains were to be found. And great hailstones, about 100 pounds each, fell from heaven on people and they cursed God for the plague of the hail because the plague was so severe. So at some point in the future, this last moment of God's wrath is so severe that it changes everything. Changes islands, mountains. It changes everything. Hundred pound hailstones from the sky. And people crying out to God but they're not crying out in a, in a sense of humility. Similar to the way that Egypt was when God was trying to get Egypt, get, get the Pharaoh to let the people go, their hearts are hardened. And when they see the hail, they curse God, but they don't cry out to him and ask for help. But what we do see we see one phrase in verse 17 that we've heard before. It is finished. This phrase technically uses different Greek words than another phrase that I'm going to mention in the Bible. However, I feel like it's meant to be there to remind us of what happened. Look with me at John 19, 28 to 30, where we see this phrase. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was, finished, was now finished, said to fulfill the scriptures, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, and so they put a sponge full of sour wine on, on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. He bowed his head and gave up his spirit. So what we see on the cross is this same kind of phrase where Jesus says, it is finished. This phrase was yelled out in the marketplace when a deal was struck. It is finished. There was a time in Jesus' life when he gave it all for you on the cross. How did we know that the payment was made? Because he said, it is finished. If you haven't placed your faith in Jesus Christ, I encourage you not to wait another day. Don't wait until we hear that phrase again. Don't wait until we hear it is finished again when the judgments of God are poured out on the earth. I encourage you to take advantage of today. His saying it is finished is not the end. It was the end of of the deal that was struck, of the payment that was made on our behalf. Because we know that three days later, Jesus rose from the grave, conquering death and sin on our behalf. He did it for us. He did it so that we can know that we also can be resurrected in Christ if we place our faith in him and his payment on the cross.
This morning I talked to you about the wrath of God being poured out on the earth, and I talked to you about how even in God's wrath, His grace exists because there is an end to it. Maybe today, like me, you often feel like the chief of sinners. I understand. In a minute, I'm going to give you an opportunity to go to the back and talk to somebody from Next Steps. And as, as you do, feel free to ask for prayer about whatever is going on in your life. I want to give you the opportunity to talk to us about whatever's on your heart whether you need to accept Jesus Christ, whether you need to make a step forward in your faith. But I want to encourage you not to wait, since we don't know how much time we have. Redeem today. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for your never-ending mercy. For the grace that you pour out on us, even in the midst of your wrath. We thank you, God, that you poured out the most extreme version of your wrath onto your son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. And we are so thankful for the payment that was made for us. I pray for anyone here today who may not know you as their Savior, that they, could, they would take advantage of today, take advantage of the moment, and turn their hearts to you. I pray for anyone today who might need to lay down something at the foot of the cross. I pray that they would do it. They wouldn't wait any longer. They would relieve themselves of the burden and give it to you. God, we know that what coming, what's coming in our future sounds ominous, but we know that you are in it and that you are a good God, and you are full of grace and mercy. We pray that you would go with us and be for us. In Jesus' name, amen.